Holy Spirit, speak through your word as you always do, that we might be growing deeper and deeper in faith and trust in you and point us to where our true hope lies, our Savior who lived and died and rose for us in Jesus' name. Today might be one of the most unknown characters, people, a lot there. Uh, But next week will probably be one of the most well-known. So uh, if you're lost today, that's fine. Come back next week. Uh, it'll It'll be a lot easier. King Hezekiah. Hmm, I talked with a pastor friend earlier this week, and his next sentence started with, is he the guy who, and I thought that's exactly right. Is he the guy who, um, let me think, Hezekiah lived around 700 B.C., King David, 1,000 B.C., Mark King David, 700 B.C., 300 years later, in Judah, the southern kingdom, remember, they're split after King David, and almost all of them don't follow God. And if you read through uh, the Bible, it talks about the kings, and it'll say they did right in the eyes of the Lord, or, but most of them did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. So very, very, very few. But he is one of the few kings of Judah, southern kingdom, so David's throne in the line which prophesied that Jesus will reign as the, the true king. He is one of the few good kings. But like any human being... It's complicated, isn't it? For all of us that trust in the Lord and live under God's grace, can we look at any of us in the eye and say, well, they're good. Well, not good all the time. Some things I do are good and and other things I'm I'm ashamed of. You're going to see that with King Hezekiah. Today, just three things. Two things he got right and then one thing he got wrong. So what did he get right? What did King Hezekiah get right? We have to get to know him a little bit. The first thing, and maybe the biggest thing, is that he knew God. He knew God. He knew the true God, and particularly he knew God in the midst of a culture that did not. He knew God and he followed God. Yes, he was king, so he had a lot of influence on that. But it was definitely a culture that did not. You see, King Hezekiah grew up in the palace... That's how monarchies work, right? His dad was the king. His dad was King Ahaz. And Ahaz was a very wicked king who set up plenty of idols and shrines to, to other gods. He didn't care at all about doing the Lord's will. And that's what, so that's what King Hezekiah grew up with. That's, that's his fatherly influence. But somehow, somewhere, he knew the truth. He learned about the true God. And maybe some of you, your story is is like that. Some of you, you had parents that taught you the faith and brought you to worship, but others of you didn't. You learned somewhere else. Someone else shared the gospel with you, and I'm sure you're really, really thankful they did. Well, Hezekiah, we knew it wasn't his dad, but somewhere he knew the true God. And at age 25, he became king. Seems kind of young to me. We don't... Let people even run for president until at least 35, right? But 25, and a lot of kings were younger than that. He became king, and he reigned for 29 years. And the Bible says he was the 13th after David. I said most of those were not good. But he's right around 700 B.C., so give or take, you know, decades. If you remember 700 Hezekiah, you got it. 
He knew that God was gracious and, and compassionate. He knew that God had saved his people in Egypt, that he was present with them, that he had given them this land and this kingdom. He knew that God loved them. And because he knew God, he wanted to do God's will. And so the Bible says he trusted the Lord, and he did what was right. And so the things he did were he went against everything that his father did. And so he uh, cleansed the temple, Second Chronicles tells a lot about, and reinstituted right temple worship, reinstituted uh, the priesthood and ethical godly priests. He tore down what's called the high places, places usually on top of mountains that people had set up to worship other gods. He restored celebrating the Passover and having people come there. And it really was a revival in Judah. Because he knew God, he wanted to do God's will. And so he used his influence to lead others there. You see, whatever, whatever influence or whatever leadership you are given, it really is simply a stewardship opportunity. If you have any authority, any leadership, any influence, well, you've been entrusted that. Do something good with it. So he was king, and he knew the true God. He used that influence and leadership so that others would know God too. And he wanted to do what was right in God's eyes because he knew that would be good for his people. It would be good for the surrounding peoples. And other people were supposed to look at Israel and know God. That was God's mission to them is, is if you live as my people, other people will see you and want to know me. And so Hezekiah knew God. And wanted to do God's will in midst of a culture that largely did not. And so I can imagine the resistance, right? We've never done it this way before, King Hezekiah. <laughs> or your dad didn't do things this way. That's the first thing he got right. He knew God. In the midst of a culture that did not. And he wanted to do God's will. Now the second thing is what a lot of our readings have to do with that we read from Isaiah. The second thing King Hezekiah got right is this. He knew where to turn when life was hard. He knew where to turn when life was hard. Do, do you and I? Do you know where to turn when, when life is hard? Or where are we tempted to turn when, when life gets harder? Are you tempted to, to numb the pain with endless scrolling? Or... Binge watch your favorite show or, or escape to a, a substance that at least dulls it for a little while. Or uh, spend hours in, in worry, obsessing about something which you can't really do much about, but it feels like you're controlling. Do you know where to turn? King Hezekiah knew exactly where to turn when the most powerful country in the world at the time was knocking on his door, literally, and it destroyed so many of their other cities and was about to come smash Jerusalem. He knew where to turn. And so we have some of his prayers spoken very well in, I, well, they're in three places, actually. So if you want to study, you got to look at 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, and Isaiah. But he turns to God. It says he takes... Hold on, I left my other page of notes back here. It says he takes the note that he gets, and he takes it straight to God. He takes it straight to the temple because he knows where to go when life is hard. So what happens? Assyria, as I said, is the most powerful nation on the planet at the time, and they have already 
done great harm to so many other cities in Judah. And then Jerusalem is the capital. The second city is Lachish, which is not that far away. And you can still go today and see the siege ramp that they built up to destroy the city. And he knew the terrible things that had happened there, and they were coming. And they send a note, which which was in the reading, and it said, hey, your God's not going to save you. Give up now. And he takes it. Here it's in your reading. Uh, and he went, it says, verse 14, he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before God, like here it is, and he prayed. He said, God, you're the only God out there. You alone. I know, I know, I know it's you. Save us. But he doesn't just say, save us because we're scared. He says, save us so that others can know that you are the true God too. That's what he says in. Verse 20, so now, O Lord, save us from their hands so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. Will you save us so that we can tell other people and that we'll be a witness to other people that you are the true God? Do you know that you and I are not simply saved so that we get our own, you know, get out of jail, get out of hell, get out of death, get out of sin free card? We are saved from those things by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But we're not just saved from bad things. We're saved for good things. We're saved for a purpose so that we are lights as Jesus shines through us so that other people see us and want to know him too. We are saved from sin and death and the devil, and we're saved for serving other people and telling them that God loves them too. And so what does God do? God answers their prayer. He answers Hezekiah's prayer and says, okay, I will save you so that you can go be lights for me. And so he sends a plague to the Assyrian army, and it says 186,000. Is that the right number? I think I got close. 185, sorry. 185,000 struck down, and then they leave. Now, it's interesting. This is one of the few places that we have the biblical accounts. There's three of them that I'll say to uh, uniquely similar things from different perspectives. And then there's historical records that have been found over time, which one, corroborate that this happened, but then two, tell it from the Assyrian point of view. So uh, things have been found in Nineveh that tell it from the, and the Assyrian story goes like this. They, They smashed every part of Jerusalem, or Judah, not Jerusalem. They surrounded Jerusalem. They were about to take it, and then they decided not to, so they came home. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> Doesn't mention the, the plague. Now, it's been in, if you read the Assyrian accounts, they also leave out things that make themselves look bad that have also been proven to take place. So, so God saves Hezekiah and his people, and then a number of years later, something else happens. What happens? This is Isaiah 38, so on the next part of your bulletin. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, was sent to him and said, Set your house in order. You're going to die. You will not recover. Then what did Hezekiah do? Did he say, Okay, well, God's predetermined everything in the world already, so I'll just sit back and, okay, whatever you say, God. He doesn't do that, does he? He actually says, God, I got, I got something to say about this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get sick and die? No, I don't want to. I actually want more time so that I can serve you. 
I want more time so that I can be a, a good leader and use the, the leadership and the influence that you have given me to serve other people so that other people might come to know you too. So he begs God for more time. I love this prayer because how many of us sometimes take the answer or believe the answer that, well, God has predetermined everything and, and you know, the Every event in the world is just set like a clock a while ago, and praying doesn't make a difference, and just forget about it and get on and, and accept it. He begs God for a change, and God actually grants it. What if you and I believed that prayer worked, or that God acted remarkably in response to our prayers? Well, God does. God does answer prayers. Now, he, does, he answers them in one of three ways, right? There's yes, there's no, and then there's wait. Yes, no, wait. Now, we like it when God says yes to our prayers that we want. We don't like it when God says no, and we usually don't like it when God says wait. But if we know that God is good and all-knowing and all-loving, then we, we trust when we don't get the answer we want. But it's not that God doesn't know. God is all-knowing. God is almighty. God is all-loving. But no, not every event that ever happens is predetermined by God from the beginning of time. You see, God always acts according to his character and wants to act according to his character that is good, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So anytime people pray and say, God, hey, do something, they're saying, God, we know who you are. You are loving, you're merciful, forgiving, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Now, because you are this, do something now about help us. Not, God, you set everything up, so we're just going to forget about it. Well, no, God knows what's going to happen, but God wants to act out of his character because he is loving and saving and forgiving. And so Hezekiah appeals to that. So he prays, and it says, he turned his face to the wall, verse 2, and prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, remember that I've walked with you. I've walked before you in faithfulness, kept a whole heart, done what is good in your sight. He says, you wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, and he said, go back to Hezekiah and say to him, I have heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and the city out of the hand of the Assyrians, and I will defend the city. And so God says, yes. And then at the bottom, the last part, verse 10, is, uh, it's much longer if you go to Isaiah and read it. I had to condense a lot. But it's a song or like a psalm that he writes, a praise song he writes that God has answered his prayer and said, yes, here's 15 years. And I wonder... Just off the bat, what would you do if you knew God granted you 15 more years of, of good health? What would you want to do? So what if you and I prayed like that, took a note out of Hezekiah's book and poured out your heart to God and believed that God would answer? Now, obviously, God sometimes says yes and sometimes says no and sometimes says wait and God is good and we trust God no matter how he answers, but wow, to, to pour out your heart and say, God, I, give me more time, or God, please change this situation. Now, a brief note on this is theologians kind of scour the Bible and say, you know, God's will when we pray often gets into two categories. One is 
God's revealed will, what God has said he wants us to do, which is the Ten Commandments, have no other gods, honor your father and mother, be faithful to your spouse, do not murder, do not steal, all of those. And so when we pray those, we already know what God's will is. And so if you're wondering whether or not to uh, leave your spouse, well, unless there's something major, if it's just you, can't, you don't really want to get along anymore, the answer is no, it's, it's pray for unity and for, for healing. It's those other things, God's unknown will, like what should I do after church today, that God doesn't give us answers to those, and, and we don't always know. Okay, so there's two things Hezekiah got right. One, he knew God. Two, he knew where to turn when life got hard. And that happened with the Assyrians attacking and then also with his own personal illness. And God says, yes, you have been faithful. I hear your prayer. I'll answer. And he grants him healing. Now, unfortunately, uh, here's where the story takes a sad turn. What does he do with those 15 years? Well, If we didn't have the rest of the story, we'd probably be tempted to set King Hezekiah on this pedestal and say, ah, a great hero of the Bible, be be like him. And fortunately, if you do that with anybody in the Bible, except one, you'll be disappointed at some point. You see, King Hezekiah, it says, after God healed him, he became proud. And pride is one of the ugliest things to God. Says he became proud, like, look at what I did. I saved my people. Look at my accomplishments. I brought peace. I brought prosperity. I'm something great. God doesn't like that. So it says, his heart became proud, and it saddened and angered God. And thankfully, he did repent, and God forgave him, yes. But it's not, all, it's not all great. Even though someone who is faithful and wants to follow God's ways and will and knows the true God, it's still complicated, isn't it? And I bet you can relate with that, right? Those of you that think, man, I, I want to do God's will. I want to, to know God, and I, and I have at some points in my life, but boy, I've really messed up too. For all of us, our lives are, are complicated, aren't they? And you see, when we know the true God, we know that we too are, are broken and rebellious and idolatrous. Even as we work against those things in our own hearts and in our own lives, we are still in need of God's grace and mercy. You see, our whole life matters And we never outgrow the need for God's grace. We never get too far away from it. We always stay close to God's word, close to the Lord's table, because we'll never be able to stand on our own two feet that is say, God, I'm good enough on my own. I've finally finally done it. No. And Hezekiah was humbled, and, and he was brought to that, and he knew that. But for us, our whole life matters, so it's never too late to follow. It's never too late to do the right thing. And it's always the right time to look for us, to look to the cross of Jesus and say, thank you, Lord, for pouring out your mercy and your grace. You see, 
God kept his, his promises to Hezekiah, helped him at that time, but his ultimate promise was that he was going to send one who would rule on that throne of David forever and finally be truly the one of peace, truly one to keep all of God's promises, truly one to rule and reign, and, and that is Jesus. Except his throne wasn't in a palace, it's on a cross where he dies for you and me. But you see, just if Jesus was just born, that would be far more grace and mercy and patience from God than we deserve. And he's not just born. He, he lives among us, carries your burdens and your illnesses and, yes, your sins, and he dies. He dies for all of Hezekiah's sins. He dies for yours and mine. And his grace follows you today. For you and me, Humbly receiving and living in God's grace is lifelong, but it's day by day. We never outgrow the need for grace. We never get too proud for it and and take a lesson from King Hezekiah. Each day matters. You will never outgrow God's grace, but guess what? Your Savior's love will never run out for you. His word always speaks. His cup is always full. And his love will never run out for you. 